Heavenly Father, again, we just come to you and thank you, Lord. As we get into your word, Lord, I just praise you, Lord. I praise you for the opportunity, Lord. I praise you for your son. I just praise you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. And Lord, let us just learn something today about you. Let us learn something about us and who we are within you, Lord. Lord, let today just, uh, some something would speak to us, Lord. It would be from you, from your Holy Spirit, Lord, that would just... As we go out through our week, Lord, that we would be able to use it through the week and whatever uh, service that we have, or whatever purpose that we have, Lord, that you, your Holy Spirit, would just just use this time, Lord. Use this time. So, Lord, thank you. Praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I think some of you were here last week. Some of you were not. Uh, this is actually today. The sermon is going to be part two of three. So we had part one last week. But no worries. If you're just coming in today, you will not be too lost. So it's a three-part series I've been working through, going through John chapter 11. It was the request. You can see this uh, was the title of it. It was the first 16 verses of John chapter 11. Then this week is the title of the message is called The Situation. The next week will be the response, so a three-part series. Now, last week, for those that weren't here, just to give us a quick kind of review, the, the request was made. If you remember, it was, the request was made from Jesus. And that request was really a call to faith for all of us, if you remember. Do you remember that, let's look, let's look back real quick. Grab your Bibles, open up to John chapter 11. We'll just spend like two minutes looking at a review here. John chapter 11, the rising of Lazarus. So you remember that Lazarus, he was sick. And then, if you look through that, you can just see through the scriptures in verse 3. The two sisters, Mary and Martha, they had sent a message to Jesus. They had stated to Jesus that their brother was sick. But then, once Jesus got that message, you can remember... He actually waited two additional days before he returned, which was kind of interesting. And as he was talking about returning, if you remember, the disciples, they objected. They didn't want to go back. They didn't want to go with Jesus back there. And the reason was, the last time they were that in that area, they had tried to stone Jesus. And so, you know, the disciples like, we don't want to go. We don't want to be stoned. We don't like rocks thrown at us. So they objected. Jesus is calling to them go back with him. But then Jesus gets kind of upset with him a little bit. And he said in uh, verse 14, he says, tells him, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. So it's interesting. Then it ends with Thomas. Finally submitting to that calling. He said, let's go too and die with Jesus. Remember that? So this really was the request, a request to go, a request of faith. And this week we're going to pick that story up now, and it's going to be the situation. So what is the situation they're going to find? What is this? Now here's the question I want you to all kind of look at as we go through this passage. What is the situation, first, according to Mary, Martha, the disciples, the crowd... And even you and I. What is this situation? But really, what is this situation according to Jesus? 
So ask yourself that question as we get into this text. The second part of this, kind of a another lesson, I guess you call it, is as we look through this, can we accept some things that have sometimes that things that happen to us only really the only explanation we can maybe get is that it's for God to be glorified. So think of that as we get into this text. So John chapter eleven, verse seventeen. We're going to read the first two verses. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. Then 19. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Now Jesus, we see, had delayed his coming. Delayed it two days. Now he had a reason. What do you think that reason was? There is a Jewish superstition or a Jewish um, tradition that they had that they would believe that once a person died, the spirit, their spirit would actually hover over their body for up to three days. This was a Jewish superstition. And so, when that spirit would hover above the body, it was sitting there waiting. But the superstition always said, also said that after three days, it would leave. The reason that spirit would leave is because at that point, the body had gotten so bad or decomposed truly that it, it couldn't air it no more. Now, they also believed that once this spirit that had been supposedly hovering over this dead body for three days, once it left... It could never return, and that person could never again come back to life. Interesting. Jewish superstition. Now, Jewish people, if you study any Jewish people, there's a lot of superstitions they had. And so, but Jesus knew, of course, as being Jewish, knew about all these superstitions and these different traditions. So because of this, you think about this commonly accepted belief, they would believe that after four days, there was no hope for him, because his spirit had left. Now, this isn't true, this is not how it works, but this is a superstition that the Jewish people had. And so, Jesus now has waited four or more days, depends on which way you look at the timeline, to return. So now he's returned. Four days later, maybe five, that's not, we're not exactly sure, but guess the funeral is still taking place four or five days after his death. That's a, that's a long time for a funeral to go on. As we can look at the Jewish people, just to give you a little context, the Jewish people, they would have shown great emotion. They would have shown like, professional wailers. They, um, the, they felt the more they yelled, the more they cried, the more they uh, wailed and shown that emotion, the more that was shown by the more people showed how much that person was loved. So it's a little different than probably uh, sure most of us have at a funeral. I couldn't imagine all the wailing and screaming and crying um, going on for days upon days. But this was how the Jewish people did funerals. So it's a lot different than us by far. Four days later, this has been taking place because according to Jewish tradition, Lazarus would have been put away. I mean, they would have had that funeral right away. It was a hot climate. So this was four days, I can imagine. Let's, let's continue here. Let's look at verse 20 through 22. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. 
Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. What does Martha mean when she says, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask? What does that mean? I think if we look at this really, she was kind of blaming Jesus in a sense. Because her brother had died, and Jesus wasn't there. Have we ever done this? We know that Jesus can heal. We know he's, we all have faith that he's capable of miracles. But sometimes, he doesn't do it. We don't always know why. But, as we see Martha, she's expressing disappointment here. You can see that. Expressing disappointment that Jesus didn't heal her brother. I think we've all done that at some point. We've had faced some situation in our lives where we've prayed, we've asked Jesus, you know, to help in that situation. Or maybe someone's been sick. We're like, Lord, heal that person. And sometimes it doesn't go the way we hope. And we can be like Mary here and be disappointed, even crying out to Jesus, why, Lord? Why weren't you there in this situation? Why didn't you heal that person I loved? I think Martha was very disappointed that Jesus hadn't brought her brother back to life and hadn't and it had taken so long to get there. I think that also we're gonna see here Jesus react to her. Let's see what she so let's see how Jesus is gonna to respond to really her lack of faith. Look at verse twenty three. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Jesus responds to Martha's lack of faith, telling her what he's going to do. You would think this would be very encouraging to her. Your brother will rise again. A reassurance to her that her brother would again live. But look, continue on, look at verse 24. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. When I read this, we can start to see Martha and her faith. We can see that during this incredible difficult time of her brother's passing, she does have a submission to Jesus. As she was hurting so badly, she still did rely on that truth of Jesus that one day her brother would rise again. But this statement that you see is really kind of a, just a first step in faith. It's a first step understanding that there is life after death. And that promise is there. But I think as we see, and we're going to continue through this text, we're going to see that she's kind of missing one of the points that Jesus is going to try to show us today and show her. That the knowledge of who Jesus is today and what he can do today. Now I can relate. I believe in salvation. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that when a person dies, they will go to heaven if they have accepted Christ. But very often, sometimes like Martha, I kind of, in my faith and understanding of Jesus, I don't 
see it as something that is today. I only see as the future hope, not hoping today. Um, not always understanding who Jesus can be and will be in our lives today. Now, I, I think all of us, our faith has to start somewhere. Um, you know, it's a great, this is an amazing starting point. This is where all of our faith starts. You start by understanding who Jesus is, and that through faith in Him, that it, we can have an eternity in heaven. But also, we need to understand that there's something going on today that each one of us can grasp a hold of. And step by step, we can grow in that faith and understand that it's, you know, that life doesn't begin when we die. It, it begins when we accept Christ. I think that's one of the main messages we're going to see today here. Let's look at verses 25 through 27. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this Martha? Amazing statement. <clears throat> this is one of the greatest claims that Jesus made. This, this claim answers one of the oldest questions that mankind has ever had. Is there life after death? It's been a question that's been asked for eternity. I want to read to you a different version, uh, amplified version of this same kind of verse, just to give you a different perspective on what it says. So look at, on verse 25 through 26 in the amplified version, it says, Jesus said to her, I am myself the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in, adheres to, trusts in, and relies on me. Also, he may die, yet he, may, he shall live. And whoever continues to live and believes in, has faith in, cleaves to, and relies on me, shall never actually die at all. <clears throat> Do you believe this? Jesus asked that question. It's a question. Every Bible is turned back to Job. It's about halfway in the Bible. Job 14. 14. Job 14, 14. Again, this question. Can the dead live again? If so, this would give me hope through all my years of struggle, and I would eagerly await the release of death. Did you know that Job is the oldest book in the Bible? Also, possibly the book of Job may be one of the one of one of them, anyways, one of the oldest written books ever. So if we look back in literature, Job is asking this question, as far back as we can go, pretty much. Interesting. Can the dead live again? This question is still today, is probably one of the most debated questions. It's still the same question today is asked as it was asked in Job's time. And Jesus is answering that question. He's answering it saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. But you look at that verse. Look at that. See how it ends though? Do you believe? Now Mary responds. We see her response in that verse. It says, yes, Lord. She told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, 
the one who has came into the world from God. So Mary responds, but I think we also have to respond, do you believe? But I really want to look, when he says, do you believe, I want to look at this question kind of in a deeper sense, a deeper understanding. Do, I know, I think everyone here, I hope, is born again, but do you only believe, as Mary was speaking of, this future event, this new life that would come later? Look at the passage again. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. See that? Well live even after dying. Martha didn't see that part. I think a lot of us don't see that part. This is talking about now. It's true. We have the promise, the eternal promise of being with Christ in heaven. But what about right now, today? That's what Martha was missing. She was like, yeah, I'll, I'll see you again later. Jesus' promise is speaking of a resurrected life that we can all have today. That we'll, and that we will continue living even after dying. So the question was, again, Jesus asked, do you believe that today? Are you living in Christ today? This new life that we're always talking about, being born again, it starts once we've accepted Christ into our hearts. This is what we need to believe this new life starts that moment. It doesn't start upon death. Jesus is bringing this attention to this, I believe, so we can understand how our relationship can be in the present. Who Jesus is today. That his, this power from Jesus is available to all of us today and now. I'm going to turn to a few verses. Let's turn way back to the New Testament. To Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Let's turn to another scripture. Go to Galatians. Just turn a few pages to the right. That many. Galatians. I cheat. I marked my Bibles, by the way. So I don't have to search when I'm up here. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As we continue looking at these passages, we'll turn back to John here. Jesus is saying this to us. He's saying that to Mary, to Martha, to all these people. But he's going to do a lot more than just say it. He's going to prove it. So let's see how he's going to do this. Let's turn back to John chapter 11, verse 28 through 29. John chapter 11, verse 28. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. 
Martha is letting her sister Mary know that Jesus was there. We can see that now. Now, I'm sure Mary was full of all sorts of emotions. I'm sure that she was excited to see Jesus, what she loved. I'm sure that she was looking for comfort from Jesus. Um, I mean, this was as she's grieving, now she's found out Jesus is there. I'm sure she was excited, you know, to, you know, to hug him, to be held by him, uh, to be comforted by him. But I also bet she was full of some questions. Like, Jesus, why'd you let this happen? What took you so long to get here? I imagine this is, would be me in this situation. She trusted Jesus. She loved Jesus. But he was also two days late getting there. So I'm sure as we have, many of us have faced different situations and grief, we look for that comfort of Christ. We look for that comfort of Jesus. But also sometimes in the same sentence, we can ask why. Why do you have this happen? It's interesting. And I think Mary was experienced that. And I think we experience the same type of emotions today as we face difficult situations in our own lives. Look at that verse. Do you see Mary's response to Jesus? It's the same as her sisters. And perhaps everyone else that would be walking through a situation like that. Lord, if you'd only been there, my brother would have not died. They didn't have any faith at this point, did they? They'd given up hope. They did not believe that there was any solution to the death of their brother. Mary and the family situation was extremely difficult as they grieved the loss of their brother. Now we, all of us, face times like this. We will find ourselves confronted by disease, disappointment, and even death. And we also will seek out Jesus just as these two sisters have. And as we seek her out, we also will seek for that comfort Seek for that love from Him. And just as they said also, though, why? Why weren't you there for Jesus? Why didn't you allow this to happen? I think we also ask questions like that also. But through all that, we see that these sisters had a basis for faith. They believed that their brother would be drawn up into heaven. But they lost hope in the moment. In that moment, they saw no hope. We must never lose that hope. We need to always, even in the moment that this is happening, when it seems absolutely hopeless, we always need to seek encouragement in the Word of God. We must live by faith, not by sight, not seeing the situation. They're seeing this, it's been four days. There's no, it's too late for them. They gave up. So maybe you have situations in your life where you see that situation, you're like, it's done. There's no hope. Not even Jesus can fix this. It's too late. I think it's happened to a lot of us where you finally just... And I think here, Christ Jesus is saying, never give up hope. The sisters, they knew Jesus, but they had given up hope in that situation. I want to look at a promise. Let's turn to Psalm. It's about right in the middle of your Bible. Almost directly in the middle. Psalm 50, verse 15. Then call on me when you are in trouble. 
and I will rescue you. And you will give me glory. He always wants us to call on him. And the sisters at this point, they've given up hope. They thought this was too big a miracle for God to do. Let's go back to John chapter 11, 33 through 35. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Look at Jesus' response. You see it in that verse? A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Jesus was weeping, and another version says he groaned in the spirit. What does that mean? I want to look it up in two different passages. I think this is important. I want to look at the Amplified Version, and we're also going to look at New King James. I want to read that verse. So verse 33 in the Amplified Version. When Jesus saw her sobbing, and the Jews came to her also sobbing, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He chafed in spirit and sighed and was disturbed. In the New King James Version, it says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. What had caused Jesus to react this way? What was the situation that had caused this? What's going on here? Look at that just for a second. What did cause Jesus to groan in the spirit, to begin weeping? Look at verse 36 to 37. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? The crowd has misunderstood why Jesus was weeping. The people saw Jesus' reaction, and they saw that Jesus was upset, so they immediately just believed this was over Lazarus' death. This is not the situation. This is not why Jesus was troubled over Lazarus' death. Now, I do believe that Jesus felt a great compassion for the family, for Mary and Martha, and all the others that were grieving alongside them with their family, as they grieved the loss of their brother. I believe that Jesus, I mean, felt this compassion and he grieved with them and along with them. But also I think there's another important lesson. We can see that even though Jesus loves them as he loved Mary and Martha, there's times that we still experience grief and loss in our lives. And we can see through this story, many of us can tell us through our own personal testimony that Jesus is there with us, alongside us, feeling and grieving with us. One of the commentaries I read said it this way. 
The fact that he loves us and we love him is no guarantee that we will be sheltered from the problems and pains of life. After all, the father loves his son, and yet the father permitted his beloved son to drink the cup of sorrow and experience the shame and pain of the cross. We must never think that love and suffering are incompatible. Certainly, they unite us in Jesus Christ. That was Warren Wiersbe. That wasn't me have heard him before. Now here's an interesting thing. This is my interpretation as I read this. I, I don't believe, I want to explain this out, that this weeping and this grieving of the Spirit was also because of the Mary and Martha. It wasn't because of Lazarus' deaths. It wasn't because of the grief from the sisters or the crowd. I think there's something else that caused Jesus to be deeply moved in the spirit and to be troubled. I, I agree. Jesus just come alongside us and he faces grief with us. And he feels the same. He's with us. But in this situation, I think there's a little bit more to this when we look into this. I asked a question earlier. What is the situation according to Mary... Martha, the disciples, the crowd, and to us, what was the situation? Lazarus had died. They had lost hope. Maybe as to us, it could be any other situation that we were facing that we see and we just say it's we've lost hope in this situation. But what was the situation according to Jesus? What had caused him to be troubled into his spirit, to groan? What had caused him to be deeply moved in his spirit? Was it the grief of the family? What situ situation had caused this? I believe it was a lack of faith. It was a loss of hope. The situation was that Mary, Martha, and the crowds, and the disciples, and maybe even some of us at times didn't understand and lost hope and lost faith in who Christ was. I believe that's what grieved Jesus. The situation was horrible. This family had just lost their loved one. He'd been dead for four days. It would seem hopeless. It would seem impossible. These people, if you look back at this story, when Jesus came, they never even considered that Jesus could still raise this man from the dead. They never even asked. They never even crossed their minds. They just saw hopelessness. They, didn't, they thought this was too big a task for Jesus. They didn't believe that Jesus was big enough for their problem. Their faith was weak. And for this is the reason I believe that's caused Jesus' reaction that we see here. Have you ever grieved like Jesus here? Put yourself in this. I want to give you an example what this looks like maybe to us today. I traveled a little bit lately. I've been to some temples. I've seen some families in some desperate situations. And I remember going to recently one temple as I saw a lady that obviously, I don't know what was going on in her life. I don't know her exact situation. But I know there was something that deeply, deeply troubled her. And I saw her bowing to that pagan altar, crying out to that pagan altar, putting her money in there, doing the chants, doing the rituals. I grieved for that woman. 
I grieved because there was such a hopelessness there. And this is what Jesus, I believe, was talking about here. Or you see someone and they're going through a horrendous situation, maybe in their marriage or with their children. And you know Jesus is the answer. But they don't. And they talk to you and they pour out their hearts. We saw it just this week. A young lady pouring out her heart. About, you know. We know the answer. And you feel for them. You truly, truly come alongside them and you grieve and you feel for them. But they don't know Jesus. They don't have that hope. When I see that, that's this grief that I believe he's talking about here. That's what I think that we all need to understand here. And as we've looked at this chapter, uh, starting with John chapter 1 through 16, we learned about the request, the call to faith, to follow Jesus, each one of us, to see what our reaction would be for each one of you. Would it be like Thomas's, as we talked about last week? Let's go and die with Jesus. Or today's verses, 17 through 37. We saw the situation. But the situation was different in Jesus' eyes. We saw that the situation truly was, his, his grief was over the fact that they had lost hope. They lost faith. We don't have to live like that. We don't have to live with this lack of faith. Let's look at another scripture before we close up here. 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians fifteen twenty six. We don't have to live hopeless. We don't have to live fearing death. First Corinthians fifteen twenty six. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, it does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Jesus Christ has defeated this horrible enemy, death, totally and permanently and forever. We don't have to have that hopelessness. We don't have to have that fear. Death cannot kill a believer. It only takes them to be, to be with glory with Jesus. That's all death is. With this promise, we can see, though, as a world we live on, that leaves pretty much two different groups of people, doesn't it? There's those that believe, and there's those that don't. There's those that, who have hope. There's those who do not. And unfortunately, there's, there are those that will die, but there are also those of us who will live. So the question for all of us today is, where do we stand with that? Do we have faith? But do we not just have faith in a future promise, but do we have faith of today? As we look at the people around us, as I shared about seeing the people at the altars, as they cry out to a pagan altar, we can cry out to Jesus today. And he will answer us. He will be with us today. It's true, we do have that future promise, but we also have today. 
We are born again today. We are a new person today. That power of Jesus is for today. And there is no feat, no miracle. There's nothing greater than our God. We never need to lose hope, as these people did here. As we do go out too, as we, I hope we would grieve like Jesus did. I hope we would see the people through Jesus' eyes as he saw the people. As he saw their lack of hope and their lack of faith. That we would, our souls too would cry out and just pray. So as we uh, close up, Christine and the worship team could come up. I'd just like to pray for a minute. And uh, just give, just join me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this uh, time. As we see in this passage, Lord, as we see the situation. The situation wasn't what it seemed. Mary and Martha and the family saw this situation as they grieved the loss of their brother. But Jesus saw this situation differently. He saw the situation that what troubled him in his spirit, what troubled you in your spirit, what you grieved and what you wept over was their lack of hope. Lack of faith. So Lord, I just pray for all of us today, Lord, that our faith would just everly grow. And Lord, no matter how desperate of a situation it would seem, we would know that you're there for us, Lord. And nothing is ever too big or too great for you, Lord. That we would always come to you, Lord, and, and just uh, make our request known. Not going, not being like this and just going is too much for you to handle. Nothing is too great for you, Lord. So Lord, we praise you that we do serve a great and mighty God, Lord. And those that are out there, Lord, that still are worshiping other things other than you, Lord, that their hope is uh, just uh, empty, these other things, Lord. Let us just grieve with you, Lord, and let us uh, just give us the opportunity to speak to them, Lord, to be able to share the message of who you are, Lord. That they would be able to come to putting their faith in somebody, you, that could truly help them. So, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for being that almighty God. We thank you for allowing us to put our faith and hope in you, Lord. And we just acknowledge today that nothing is too great for you. And we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.